There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they're not. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Richard Dave, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Chief Engineer Steve. And I'm Sean Fangirl S. And today we'll be discussing Episode 3 of Season 2 of Star Trek Picard. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. It always makes me happy that it's back. I love this show. I really do. Oh, the little bits of humor here and there are so great. (laughs) But they never sacrifice the tension or kinetic energy that other shows might lack. (laughs) Right, Steve? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So what do you guys think? Do you have any initial reaction? I think Sean sounds ready to go. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, I did. I totally loved it. And I was laughing because right away, their whole don't do this butterfly effect and what happens? It's like, well, that got (laughs) screwed up from the start. (laughs) So. I thought it was it was great. And then just seeing some of the stuff had me questioning a lot from, I guess, what I know of Star Trek, because I don't remember when certain things started, like year-wise. So now I'm like, wait a second. When did this supposedly start and this supposedly start? So you guys will have to help fill me in later with some of that. But I totally gave this thumbs up. I loved it. Yeah, oh, I did as well. And I think it's amazing how a different showrunner can make such a huge difference in a character. Girardi was awful last year, (laughs) and this year she's fantastic. Yeah, she deserves all the hugs she gets. (laughs) Absolutely. And they aren't afraid to take out a main character, unlike Disco. (laughs) (laughs) Now, of course, we know Elnor will be back probably when they get the timeline fixed. Yeah. But still. Yeah, because that totally freaked me out. Like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I wrote that in my notes. What? (laughs) Oh, yeah. About six or seven A's in my what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was hard to watch him get zipped in a bag. Sorry, Steve, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, and I really wasn't sure that they were going to get away as, as easily as they did, but it moved the plot along much quicker. So yeah. that's good. Because <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the one of the preview scenes that we saw with, what was it, Rafi and Seven driving in an SUV. Yeah. I was thinking that was going to be in the current timeline and not 2024. So it was good to see that, yeah, they actually did escape. So, but yeah, great episode. I know we're not rating them, but if we were, I would give it not as powerful as the previous two, but three no. and a half cakes melting in the rain. <laughs> That's a boomer reference. And then if, you're, if you're looking at me cross-eyed out there, I'm not going to explain it to you. You're going to have to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Sean's probably looking at me cross-eyed. What is he talking about? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what? 
Uh, we'll get to it, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah, it's a great show. And like I said earlier, I just love that it's back. Yes. <laughs> Enjoying my time with them. You know, that's what it feels like. Almost, almost like that mushy feeling of family at the end of disco. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into episode three, Assimilation. Picard and the crew travel back to 2024 <laughs> Los Angeles in search of the Watcher, who can help them identify the point at which time diverged. Seven, Rafi and Rios venture out into an unfamiliar world 400 years in their past while Picard and Girardi attempt to gather information from an unlikely and dangerous ally. Yeah, that that sounds pretty spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about Doc Ock. Yeah. (laughs) The third episode of Star Trek Picard starts out just as action-packed as the first two from the season. We're back on the Lost Serrano Bridge. Oh, no. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm already starting. I, I was worried about that today, too. Steve's going to have to help me. <laughs> Things are not looking good for our intrepid alternate timeline crew, but they managed to fight back and overcome their captors. Only after some major things happen, such as Elnor getting shot. Yeah. It, like, freaked me out. And can I say the phasers? What in the world? Those are yeah. Disintegrators? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't that was a little surprising. I wasn't saying, I don't know about you, but I was like, oh, like mouth on the floor. I looked like a cartoon character. <laughs> so yeah, that surprised me. So, well, okay. I'm going to have to say it was a good thing then that Elnor didn't get hit that way. Right. Or did they <laughs> yeah. switch it? But Rafi ends up running over to care for the critically injured Elnor, which at first I didn't think it was going to be that bad because I thought it was a shoulder shot. Right. But apparently, no. While the rest of the crew end up racing to try to get away from Earth and any further pursuers. Elnor's wound is pretty bad, and there is no medical supplies aboard this alternate timeline ship. Which, why do you think that is, by the way? Victory or death? Yes, uh, absolutely. Wow, I didn't think of it that way. But when she yeah. like, there's no tricorder, there's no this, it's like, oh my gosh, this is probably really bad. So, while Agnes tries to hook up the Borg Queen on the ship so they can slingshot around the sun and take them back in time, Q appears to Picard and tells him that he's lost so much because of his fear. I don't know about you guys, but when Q popped up, I was getting mad. <laughs> Why can't nobody else see him? Because the people aboard the Enterprise were able to see him. Right. I was wondering if he was really there or if, that, or if uh, JL hallucinated him. Right. Ooh. It's kind of a toss-up. That's interesting. It's becoming clearer that what Guinan and Q have been referring to vaguely over the first few episodes is something specific in Jean-Luc's life, perhaps a decision he made. Could it be related to his mother and that disturbing memory from the second season premiere? Or maybe something from his Stargazer days? In the chaos of battle, the Borg Queen escapes the stasis chamber. (laughs) Just fell right the hell over, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) And... uh, Freaked out, I think, myself and Agnes at the same time. But she decides to finish what Agnes started by saying, oh, allow me. And then yeah, hooks herself so up to creepy. the ship. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm watching this going, okay, I know she's wearing, like, green screen stuff on her legs. That is so freaking creepy looking with her yes. like that just on her hand. Upper torso only. <laughs> and then zip, zip, there goes her Doc Ock self. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, takes the controls away from Rios, which he was a little ticked off about that. And she starts her calculations to go back in time. She points them straight at the sun and starts picking up speed as everything slows down before going black. 
I love that whole image too, because when they're starting to go backwards in time, you see like the sparks going up instead of falling <laughs> down and the tear roll back up. I thought that was really interesting. It's like, okay, they're showing us this is what's happening. Yep. And of course, when they emerge, they are in what appears to be the right timeline. But the La Serena is not doing well. Everything's offline, there's minimal power, and the ship is caught in Earth's gravity, and it's going to crash. <laughs> going down. We're going to fall with style is basically what's going to happen. They get enough control back to target where the ship's going to crash, and Jean-Luc offers up his family estate in France. That was pretty interesting when he's like, oh, we're going to go home. It's like, wait, what? Yeah, hold on a minute. <laughs> oh, where? Your family's estate at that point? And yeah. I started to question like a lot right here. Cause it's like, okay, they don't have power. How are they going to get to LA? Are they in France? Where or are they in Italy? Where the heck are they? Did they land somewhere in the water? Because at first I thought it was water and then it was like, no, it's dirt. It was <laughs> 10 million things going through my head. And this is where yeah. my questions start because I have to, to pose this to you because I do not remember. How far in the future from this point was the first warp test? Because it's after everything really got messed up and it was like pockets of human survivor. Yeah, they went through a war. So it's like well off in the future. You know what? I could I could Google it, but I think, right, I think it's yeah. about 100, 150 years away. Yeah. Okay. I think that's close. Okay. Cause I just could not remember where it was. And then I'm like, all right, well, they're going to show like now. So it's not like we're peaceful and everything's kumbaya and stuff's coming together because obviously there's a war and nuclear energy and stuff. They said there was no fallout in the atmosphere at this time, which is probably really bad, too. But <laughs> I was just like, OK, everybody seems really calm about everything that's happening. And why is nobody freaking out that the board queen is not in her stasis chamber anymore? Yeah. <laughs> And finally, one last question for you guys in this moment. The whole opening changed, right? It wasn't just me imagining it. From the previous episodes or from last season? From the previous episode. We didn't have the glass falling and it was just like totally different. You know what? I shouldn't have skipped through it then because I did. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little thing you can say, skip intro. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. I would have to watch again, but I swear that the whole opening changed. I'm going to watch the last. Well, the first three openings again. Well, where else difference. knows? You can tell me. They might have done it because you know they have a timeline change, so they changed that too. Yeah, not to reflect things like that. That I just think is like really interesting and amazing. Like they pay attention to small details like that. Yeah, like Steve said, the right showrunner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more butter. <laughs> I was thinking if I was part of that crew and they're going around the sun, I was imagining what myself would be like with something going backwards. And this is a Mandalorian reference, but I'd be either grabbing or letting go of my spear. So it's, been, <laughs> it's probably better that I'm not on the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out the board queen has been draining ship power in order to keep herself alive, which poses a problem. The bio bed is the only thing that's keeping Elnor alive. Of course, she's a parasite. Rios tries to shoot her, but Picard stops him. I hate it when they diss him, too. Don't yell at Jean-Luc Picard. You know? <laughs> He's been around it, for it, so always, long. Yeah. Jean-Luc knows they need the Borg Queen, and more specifically, the information she possesses about the change of the timeline and identity of the Watcher in Los Angeles for the mission to succeed. As a result of this decision, Elnor dies. It's hard to take, and it certainly wasn't his intention, but Jean-Luc sacrificed Elnor for the mission. I don't know if he sacrificed him, but at least stay on target. Right. Stay on point. Uh, I don't know what else they could have done for him. If they had routed the power, would he have been brought into the collective? And it couldn't have completely undo her. 
They were yanking at her chains later on. It seemed to have a hard time. Yeah, she wasn't disconnecting, that's for sure. Now, yeah, they probably could have shot the tentacles, but what's to say that she wouldn't have just shot another one out? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, what really bothered me about this moment was you go back to episode one. Well, no, that that didn't play because episode one was the real La Serena and not the CSS La Serena because I was thinking... Wait a minute. Seven said was telling the aliens in the <laughs> that the medical supplies were right yeah. there, but yeah, yeah, this isn't the same Lysarena, so yeah, that didn't work. Okay, D- damn it, Q. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out it's the right call, but Rafi isn't wrong about to be absolutely infuriated with him for making these casual decisions about who lives and who dies. She gets so mad at him. Oh yeah, and it's not like he was happy about it. I mean, yeah, it really. tore him up too, but he's. Going to gotta stay focused on the mission. I have wrote in my notes. Uh, Rafi really loves Elnor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, she's totally like adopted him as her own son. Yeah. Yep. After what we've seen with her actual family, it makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Skew's fascination with Picard has led them to this in Rafi's estimation, and it's hard to argue with her. Though it's clear there's more going on here than any of us or the crew are aware of. It's possible that the restoring the timeline means Elnor will come back. They decide to try and find the Watcher by tracking any alien technology or subspace signals. It's as good as any place to start. Or they could just look for a bar. Yeah. <laughs> With a Seven Ra- over it. Yeah. yeah. Seven Rafi and Rios head to Los Angeles while Gerardi and Picard stay behind on the ship and try to help the board queen. Before the group leaves, Gerardi warns them not to do anything that might draw attention. After all, they don't want to change the timeline even more than it's already been altered. Have you guys seen the uh, Simpsons episode where Homer goes back in time and actually steps on a butterfly? (laughs) Wait, didn't he do it a bunch of times? Like he didn't do anything and then finally he like, yeah. One of the dinosaurs sneezes and it sneezes on all the other dinosaurs and they all die at once. (laughs) Yeah, because at one point it's like the perfect life except there's no donuts and then it's raining donuts. Right, right. He didn't have a problem with that. Whatever. (laughs) Well, he left before it started raining donuts, so he didn't know. I think that would have been a good timeline. So Agnes and Picard get to work. Jean-Luc theorizes that the Borg Queen is trying to communicate. She just can't do it verbally. They might be able to enter her mind and help, but there's a problem. Because she knows Jean-Luc's mind intimately from his time as Locutus. You know, I never put it together before that Jean-Luc Locutus is that close. Yeah. You guys ever ever realize that? I'm like, oh, what am I, stupid? He wouldn't be able Steve got it. All hail yep. Steve. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to resist her assimilation attempt for long enough to revive her. But it could lead to a little chicka bow bow bow. Yeah. <laughs> so I was questioning here as well. Because oh, yeah. if she was talking and we couldn't hear her, you're in a timeline where the Borg still exists though. So was she reaching out to the collective? In the Delta Quadrant? Wow. Or I don't attempting. know. Yeah. Well, attempting. Yeah. Then we need a, a discovery size wormhole for that. Yes. <laughs> Convenient. No. Yeah, that was Q. That was Q, too, that led the uh, the Borg across well, it, the galaxy. Yes, absolutely he did. <laughs> He's going to have to fix that. Yes. Agnes, on the other hand, is an unknown quantity. Over Jean-Luc's strenuous objections, she decides to hook herself up to the Borg Queen. She thinks it's safe because Jean-Luc will be talking to her subconscious while her active mind enters the Queen's. Boy, stepping up, Girardi. Wow. He'll be able to pull her out if it seems as though the Borg Queen is winning and assimilating her. Now, of course, the transporters aren't exactly working well. 
So Rafi yeah. Seven and Rios materialize near each other in Los Angeles, but not together. Their aim is to get the, to the highest point in the city and scan for alien signals. Wow, it's a good thing Gerardi didn't shoot for that. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, they grab subspace relays to ensure the La Serena can find them to bring them back, and they head out into yet another strange new world. Rafi and Seven end up near one another and find each other quickly, but Rios isn't so lucky. He materializes a few stories up and falls hard on the concrete. Oh my that gosh, when rough. he hit the, the fire escape, escape yeah. Thing. I almost said fireplace. Fire escape. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh God. Oh. Yes. Like, <laughs> At least it slowed him down a little. Yeah. Oh, freaking everything along the way. Yeah, it's unclear how bad his injuries are, but it doesn't look good. Yeah, because you see a small pool of blood right there mm. in his head, and you go, whoa, hold on a minute here. You're not going to get rid of two in one episode, are you? Yeah, right. They're killing everybody <laughs> off, and Q's just going to laugh. Yeah. After making it clear he didn't want to go to the hospital, Rios is taken to a clinic. He drops his subspace relay, and a kid picks it up. That can't be good. Yeah, don't don't interfere. Don't yes, technology. Yeah, <laughs> good thing he didn't take the phaser. Yeah, back on the ship, John Luke talks to Agnes's subconscious and tries to encourage her to resist the queen's machinations with her mind. As the queen grows stronger and begins to take over, Picard becomes alarmed and pulls the plug. Agnes is right. He was like a kid with mittens. Yeah, put a little rope on, he'd lose everything. Yep. I like the whole thing with Gerardi and the queen, though. Oh, yeah, it was amazing scene. Yeah. Especially the, whose hand is this? Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, we suddenly have the seagulls from Nemo here, but, like, right. it and was we do, interesting. Yeah, and we do get back kind of the old Girardi when the queen visits the sadness door. The sadness door. <laughs> I loved how she explained it, too. Yes. Because I don't know if we've ever had it, like, talked to or talked about in this way. Nope. So it's like, yeah, rattling the doors, exploring. It's like, okay, interesting. I liked how it, it played out there. <laughs> Your head's like a haunted mansion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So we have Rios waking up with a massive headache. If that's, you know, the, the easiest part, I think, of what happened to him. He's probably right. been broken in multiple places. Oh, but I that. wish he had said when he woke up, uh, oh, am I in heaven? I see an angel. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he does try to walk out of the clinic, but his concussion isn't exactly helping. The doctor, whose name is Teresa, tells Rios she's not going to report him for not having identification and finishes treating his wounds. And this is when I was like, wait, what? And then I started realizing, oh, okay, undocumented, got it, that's why. Right, and... I'm sure Sean cringed when she, the doctor grabbed Rios's hand. Holy crap. And snapped it back. <laughs> <laughs> Oldest trick telling, in the book. He's telling that great story. And it's so funny because Jason said that, actually, because we were watching together. And yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, distract him and going to, like, set the hand. But she doesn't do it right away. And she's just looking at him. And I'm like, oh, maybe she just wants to make sure his concussion's okay. And then when she did it, yeah, I was like, Ugh! <laughs> And you know what? It probably wouldn't have been bad, except the sound effect they add to it. Yes. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the old trick. We're going to go on three. One, two, crack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, oh, God. that Yeah, that was something else I cringed. 
Seven and Rafi are back together again and scanning for <laughs> signals in the meantime. And they detect some sort of blip near MacArthur Park, but it just disappears quite quickly. I love it that some guy tried to like rob Rafi too. It's like really Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> She's dissing uh twenty twenty four. Can you imagine if they showed up in twenty twenty two? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, even worse. Good Lord. And takes money. (laughs) They also end up detecting Rios' comm badge, which he managed to almost get back from the kid who found it, who also happens to be Trace's son. Yeah. Young Vulcan. Morse code? What's happening? Because the kid's just like tapping. (laughs) And I'm thinking, okay, you're in 2024. So we have cell phones. We have Bluetooth. We have wireless communication. You can just fake it that that's what it is. Be like, give me my phone or something. Right. Be like, it's a prototype. Whatever. Like, the kid probably wouldn't think anything of it. I got it at a Star Trek convention. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I love how he bribes the kid, though, too, with peanut butter blossoms. I think he was honest about the peanut butter. Oh, yes. (laughs) That was awesome. Real peanut butter. Oh, my God. This is so good. Wait a minute. They don't have peanut butter now? That's replicated. Sucks. Replicated. Everything's yeah. replicated. <laughs> right. They replicate farms. They replicate water for goodness sakes. And we all know what's being replicated. Oh. Load up the ship with like a bunch of crates of peanut butter and take them. Probably. In. Yeah. Most popular man in the galaxy. Right. <laughs> oh, before he's able to take his badge back, Teresa intervenes and decides that she's going to put it at the front desk just to make sure he doesn't steal anything. It's like, what? No. What have you seen right now that you think he's going to steal? My God. Right. You're in a clinic. Uh, I mean, yeah, I can see people. You would, though. Dealing with- oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. Back on the La Serena, the Borg Queen is back up and running. And she's less on the fritz than she was before because now there's definitely a shift in the timeline. This could be good news, except her lucidity also means she's willing to help less and less unless she gets an exchange. And that's never good when the Borg Queen wants to deal. No, you what never you end up winning yeah. a deal with the board queen. Yeah. <laughs> what do you and think of the snark? She's I was like, going to say her attitude was so different. Yeah, that's a real shift. What you, Is that what you all think because it has? of Girardi? Like she, not no. Verge, but that she no. pulled stuff from Girardi? Oh, maybe. Well, Gerardi can be pretty snarky. Yep. That's why I was thinking that's what, because I'm like, that's not what a board queen normally seems like. I thought they were trying well, to bring her that, into the... you got to remember, board queen offered data a pretty big deal <laughs> like that. Become part of us and we'll let the Enterprise go. So she blew on his his arm and he's like, (laughs) (laughs) now I'm like thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that because I remember that being like really kind of creepy too. Yeah, (laughs) sexy, creepy, creepy, sexy. (laughs) (laughs) But the Borg Queen is holding the identity and location of the Watcher hostage until Jean Luc decides that he will give her the ship. And of course, she did not expect what Girardi did next. Because while the queen was trying to assimilate her, Girardi located the information they needed, specifically the location of the watcher, and extracted it. And I love it because she's mm-hmm. like, all right, what was it? Open file shit I stole from the board queen? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Agnes thinks that she might know when the divergence is going to happen as well, but she can't remember right at this moment. It's a dangerous thing to attract the notice of the board queen. And Agnes has done that and has also, according to the board queen, impressed her. Yeah. So 
that started my wheels turning and I'm like, wait, is the queen on the ship that we seen in the weird cloister thing in one actually Agnes now? So right. my brain's like <laughs> going 10,000 miles a minute. But before we find anything more about that, we have trouble for Rios. Oh, I'm so surprised. Yes. Because before he <laughs> can get his comm badge back, he was so close. Like, I was stressing about them. Like, it's right there. Yeah. But the police arrive. And the doctor instructs everyone in the clinic to leave. And Rio starts to, but he can't just leave her behind to fend for herself, even if it means catching the notice of authorities. Wow, you really did not listen to Girardi, did you? No. <laughs> Again, another reason I'm very glad you did not have your phaser. Right. This kind of rem- reminds me of the um, the Collins episode of the original series where Bones is and Jim are doing everything they can not to let her die, but she's got to. Yeah. Yep. Joan Collins. Yeah. Joan. Well, of course, Rios is arrested along with Teresa, just as Admiral Picard's voice comes through the combat calling for him because immigration is not a little happy bunch of people. No, no, <laughs> not in 2024. To... No, ice, ice, baby. I don't know how they're going to fix that one. I mean, they fixed. I was a little disappointed at the beginning of the episode. They fixed and killed those three guys. Right. But how are they going to fix this? There's nobody left in that place. Yeah. <laughs> they're, he's going to be under arrest. So it's going to have to be something like. Uh, oh, the kid's got to be hiding. Yeah. Yeah. The kid got out along with the old man and everybody else that was in there. So. That's how I think they're going to fix it, though. The kid's got to come back, He was, or he was hiding, and he's going to hear Jean-Luc through the comm badge and tell him what's what. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the doctor's assistant, uh, she had a name, I can't remember it. We'll probably lead everyone back in anyway. So we'll see, have to fix the door. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, wow, you bust down the door of a clinic. That's okay. So, anybody up for Easter eggs? Oh, yeah. What? Theories? There's Easter eggs in this show? I would have never thought. (laughs) Apparently. Uh, Let's see how many eyes are. Oh, boy. (laughs) Not that many. Oh, Steve. (laughs) Familiar time travel locations, anyone? Arriving in 2024. Picard, Seven of Nine, Gerardi, Raffi and Rio set foot in the past in Los Angeles, and longtime Trek fans will know this is not the first time a Star Trek episode has gone back in time to contemporary L.A., the two-part Star Trek Voyager episode, Future's End, likewise saw the ship travel back to Los Angeles, this time in 1996, the time the year episode aired. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Notable, assimilation includes a montage of iconic L.A. locations, not the ones you might expect. Rather than show us a Hollywood sign or Sunset Strip, the episode shows us the Santa Monica Pier and the Griffith Observatory, two locations that played a major part in Future's End. Ha, someone did their homework. Yes. They always do. The pier is where the crew of Voyager first arrive in the city remark on the unusual attire of the era. <laughs> the observatory is where Tuvok and Paris go to get information where they meet Sarah Silverman's character, Rain Robinson. Given all the famous L.A. spots that assimilation could have shown to orient the viewer, those two seem too specific to be anything but a reference to this classic time travel two-parter. I you know, love when they uh, do stuff like that, where it's like, oh, they did this in older episodes, let's do this again. And they're showing L.A. so often, much like Doctor Who goes to England so often. <laughs> right. <laughs> It was one season where the X-Files moved production to L.A. just to save money. <laughs> right. I want This will be like their bottle episode. Why don't we just do it here? So, coincidence or not, it just so happens that Picard and his new crew find themselves in 2024, the same year that Captain Sisko, Dr. Bashir, and Lieutenant Dax time-traveled 
into the Deep Space episode, Past Tense. That two-part time travel episode has become a beloved classic among Trekkies for its haunting portrayal of what was in the future 30 years away. Ironically, much of what is predicted in 1995 has since come to pass, but the crux of that episode revolved around Sisko and Bashir being trapped in a homeless encampment called the Sanctuary District in San Francisco. Sisko and Bashir are forced to stay in a closed-off area designed to keep the homeless from encroaching on the city because they have no ID or paperwork. Yep. While there, they get caught up in a historic civilian uprising called the Bell Riots, which was said to have occurred in September 2024. In assimilation, Rappi and Seven appeared to materialize within a sanctuary district in the very same year. Of course, the fact that this one is in Los Angeles seems to show us that the government run homeless encampments and extend beyond the Bay Area in California. Sure, why not? <laughs> it doesn't explain, however, how Seven and Rafi seem to have no trouble leaving the district. In past tense, the armed guard patrolling its borders barred Cisco and Bashir from exiting. Oh, anybody have any theories on that or well, guesses? Well, I've seen something that Cisco might pop up, so maybe... Wow. <laughs> maybe it's going to have something to do with the other camp. But, I mean, it was he was mentioned already last episode. So, yeah, right. I don't know, but that's weird. I didn't realize that maybe it's not like government run where they are in LA. It's just that's where, you know, they've all ended up. Yeah, perhaps. Right. It may not be a true sanctuary yet, but it could be the beginning of one. That's good. Yeah. Los Arenas transporters must not be operating correctly because when Rios beams down to Los Angeles, he doesn't materialize safely. Instead, he beams into a midair and falls on two stories to the ground, seriously injuring himself. That was quite a thud. Yeah. However, where he materializes, that gets us our next Easter egg. Rios lands on the sidewalk outside of Los Angeles establishment called the Tipton Brothers Deli. A Google search of this location yields no results, and that would make sense as the deli's name is a clear nod to Scott and David Tipton, two comic book writers who produced several stories for the Star Trek franchise at the IDW Publishing. The Tipton's work for Star Trek includes titles such as Klingons, Blood Will Tell, and Deep Space Nine, Fool's Gold. This reference could be particularly re relevant in the season of Picard as the pair also authored a Doctor Who crossover story, Assimilation, which featured the Borg and the five-issue alternate reality comic series, Mirror Images. What would we do without comics books? Yeah. That'd be boring. <laughs> boring. <laughs> so much, uh... That's where the X-Files went, actually. When they left, they continued on into the comics, too. Landing from a two-story fall didn't get Rios a nice meal from Tipton's Deli. Instead, it sends him to a local clinic with serious injuries, including some broken bones. That clinic in question is run by Dr. Teresa. Seems to specialize in caring for those without identification. Happy to help Rios off the books when he insists on no hospitals. It's still not safe for him to be there. Rios makes for a quick exit after getting treated. However, it's a little too late as Homeland Security arrives for a raid on the facility before he can slip out. Attempting to stay behind to help Dr. Teresa, Rios is taken into custody by the police. The officer who cuffs him asks him for an ID, and when Rios admits he doesn't have any, the man says, let me guess, no UHC card? Fans of Deep Space Nine will remember a line from a time traveler two-parter past tense. When Sisko and Bashir arrive in 2024, they have no identification, just like Rios, and they are stopped by the police who ask for the same UHC card. Though it's never said what the card is, it's clearly used for uh, identification in this version of 2024. Well, that one, it sounds like Rios is getting a one-way ticket to a sanctuary district just like Cisco. Yeah, I'm like, UHC, why do you need a United Healthcare card? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it stands for something different. Mm -hmm. Would be my 
As Rafi gets acquainted with her surroundings in the homeless encampment, she eyes the massive banner on the building across the street that advertises an apparent mission to Europa, one of Jupiter's many moons. The banner reads, The New Interplanetary Explorers, and includes the classic Star Trek tagline, To Boldly Go. Not too corny. Well, this could be a poster for a new movie or TV show in 2024. We're guessing this is a nod to Star Trek's universe's early space exploration efforts. Is that where uh, they ended up? Stephen Cochran fired up the first warp drive. Didn't he end up around Europa? I didn't mm. think they made it that far. Well, yeah, they. it don't take much at warp drive to get to the edge of <laughs> our yeah, solar think, system. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I don't know why that just stuck in my my head for some reason. It's not because there's a reference to Europa in, uh, in Discovery, but that's something seems to click. Right. Uh, so, anyway... Though they've yet to materialize in real life in Star Trek history, humanity began exploring other planets as early as the 2020s in the Star Trek Voyager episode, One Small Step. The crew discovers a space module that has launched from Earth in 2032 and got lost on its way to Mars. In the episode, it is suggested that there wasn't Earth's first planetary mission. In the banner, seen by Rafi, is any indication seems like by 2024, humankind has already... Kind of mission to Europa on its mind. Do you guys any? Uh, any of you guys see the news about the Artemis launch, which is uh, NASA's return to the moon? There, the new rocket is actually rolling towards the launch pad now. You know the crawler. Yep. Yeah. The was... SLS is on its way. Yeah, I knew pretty... it was going to happen because they're looking to do. Is it the Mars mission next? Um, well, that's what Elon Musk certainly wants to get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember because with my Girl Scout troop, we talked to, to an engineer at NASA and she told us about Artemis is going to be the first all women's crew and they're looking then to have more for the uh, Mars mission. So I thought it was really interesting, but it's like, okay, we're seeing this in reality. So they're writing it into the show, but I feel like in two years, yeah, Europa is a bit out of reach for us. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, maybe if you had said it, this was in 40 years. Yeah. It's like, oh, that makes sense. But yeah, I'm just kind of in awe with this. I love how they're hopeful and showing hopelessness kind of all at once. Yeah. In uh, this is a, also an Arthur C. Clarke type of reference here, as far as Europa is concerned. Well, at least in that in those books in 2001, and then the movie and book 2010, they're traveling to Europa as an Earth mission. And spoiler alert, sorry, <laughs> they contact the entity that they first contacted in 2001, and it starts to implode Europa as it turn it into a star. And they uh, one of the last messages is "Hands off Europa, it belongs to us." Maybe Just a little. We should take that to heart. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. It's like that's kind of scary. Okay. Yeah, I meant two suns in our in our solar system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that won't help with global warming at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, the way they go through trees in this episode, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm still waiting for somebody to come up on the ship. Like, what the hell did you do? Yeah. Girl Scout troop. Yeah. yeah so did. Uh... <laughs> Anybody get the feeling with the uh, scene up at the top of the, what was it, the Hughes building or whatever they called it? Mark Ridge? Yeah, when uh, the security guard stops them and they come up with this story about needing the picture to reenact their... Oh, sure. So What was that movie? Tom Hanks and, uh, well, at least the most recent one. Tom Hanks and what's her name? Uh, You know, (laughs) Empire State Building. Right. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Ryan. What was the name of the movie, though? Oh, uh, Sleepless, Sleepless in, in Seattle. Seattle. Seattle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. 
Good one, Steve. All right. Well, any more thoughts on this episode? Nope. Well, and we do have some feedback this week. Our friend Fred from the Netherlands has provided his thoughts on episode three. So let's hear what he has to say. Hello, Steve and Dave. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard season two, episode three. I gave this episode a nine again, just as last week on IMDb. Really, really very nice episode. My wife said, well, it's a bit built up on the old story of The Voyage Home, Star Trek Four, where Kirk, McCoy and Spock go back to 1986 San Francisco. And of course it is, but that is very nice of Picard. I think they put in nice memory lane stuff and they do it in a very nice and not too cheesy way. I loved the power play between Agnes and the Borg Queen, as well as when she were in each other's mind as later. Really, really nice, especially for such a seemingly uncertain person as Agnes, although she is much tougher than she looks like. We lost Elnor, I don't think he will come back in the past, but when the series goes back to the future, I'm almost certain we will see him back. I really wonder how many episodes that will take, so how many episodes of this season of Picard will play in 2024. The Borg Queen is played by Annie Wershing. I just stumbled over that in IMDb. I really didn't recognize her behind all this latex. But now I know it, I can see it. I know her from Marvel Runaways. I also know her from the series Extant, which I liked a lot, with Hale Berry in the lead role. And I know her from a series I like even more, and that's Timeless. With Abigail Spencer in the lead. Very sad that that didn't get a third season. I really wonder if Rios will be very sad to go back to the future. Because we possibly see here some sparks between the young Dr. Tamara Ramirez and Rios. So let's see how that will develop. Okay, that will be first thoughts about this episode of Picard. Uh, that will be all for this time. Greetings. All the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thank you, Fred, on that wonderful feedback. We're definitely glad you're enjoying this season. Fred keeps citing uh, Back to the Future. We've been remiss in not citing ourselves that Leia Thompson was a director for the episode in the episode four, too. And yeah. Leia Thompson acted in the movie Back, Back to, to the, the future. future. Yes. <laughs> wow, it is a small world. And, of course, Terry Metellus has the car. Yes. <laughs> it was in Back to the Future. As does well, he keeps getting... really? Yep. Yes, he really does. Oh, wow. He has the DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we definitely get a voyage home feel for towards this season so far. I think you'll see that it might change a little bit with the next episode, but we'll, we'll still get some more callbacks to it, that's for sure. <laughs> I just think this is going to be a lot more... I don't want to say gritty, but just a lot more in general than it was then. Because I feel like the older ones were more uh, feel-good than this season of Picard is shaping up to be. Right, yeah. This definitely is going to be a much deeper plot line than Voyage Home, that's for sure. You get the whales, save it, and get back to the 
future. Yeah. <laughs> it, it would have been interesting or even mo- more mind-blowing if Elnor turned out to be a watcher. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was mind-blowing oh. enough that, yeah, how would Raffi deal with that? Yep. Well, as always, Fred, we appreciate your feedback and looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the next episode. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, Fred. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. You can also go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contacts link where you'll find all the ways to get a hold of us via email and all of our social media. So you can always check us out on Twitter. Reach out that way because we'd love to hear from you. We have Steve at Salier Steve. Dave is at the real underscore ID underscore Dave. I'm at Jetta528. Or you can reach the whole crew of us at FGZ Podcast. Please review and rate us on iTunes and any other platform you may use for your podcast. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us as there are a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. Tell your friends and I hope you like our podcast and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts. The fourth episode is on March 24th and is entitled Who the Hell Knows. They aren't going to release <laughs> it till Tuesday or something. So until then, remember... I'm Sean Fangirl S, and I'm just going to take a quick celluloid photograph over here. And I'm Chief Engineer Steve. Computer, dictate that file log. Shit I stole from the Borg Queen. And this is Redshirt Dave, and every time I see Jerry Ryan, I think, mine, 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 mine. <laughs>